Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm super pumped today to talk to you about the benefits of giving up alcohol. Now, that may be for a period in time. I've done 30 days. I've done a year and a half, and I'm now on nearly a year, and I don't have any intention of drinking in the near future. Now, to be clear, I never had an alcohol problem, quote-unquote, insofar as I would be deemed an alcoholic. However, alcohol has definitely been a problem in my life. Um, A dear friend of mine years ago when I was living in New York asked me a question, which I think is a really beautiful question to ask yourself, and that is, if there was one thing that you were to add to your life and one thing that you would take away that would have the most profound impact on your life moving forward, what would it be? And for me, the answer at the time was if I added a profound, loving, committed relationship and if I took away drinking alcohol. And I'm grateful to say that I have given up alcohol and it has absolutely been profound in my life. I feel clear-headed. I have no hangovers anymore. You know, it blows me away to think about the fact that many of us will sacrifice uh, a whole day, basically, feeling like crap, sometimes multiple days feeling like crap, for several hours of fun out one night. And, And for me... I've just, I just basically came to do the cost-benefit analysis where I realized that the costs of drinking far outweighed the benefits. Now, there are extensive conversations on the health benefits. I definitely recommend you Google uh, Andrew Huberman's article where he talks about there's really no safe amount of alcohol to consume. I also went pretty deep on cognitive optimization and cognitive impairment given um, – my journey with my father around dementia and realized that just the, the brain is, is a neurotoxin. It, it, there's no way around it. It's a poison. And so um, I just realized ultimately that I have a lot that I want to achieve in this life. And alcohol is one of the major ways in which I was holding myself back from the potentiality that I think I have and the, the vision that I have for living this life as beautifully as I can. Now, that's not to say that, you know, who knows, right? If I, Maybe years from now, if, if I'm with my partner um, in Italy on a beach and she wants to have a glass of wine, it's not like I'm vilifying, you know, having a drink uh, in its entirety. It's just to say that I think the habit of drinking which is highly socially uh, programmed, is problematic in a variety of ways. And as someone who is committed to optimizing my health, my well-being, my lifestyle, I just realized that there's really no place for alcohol in my life. I'd much rather uh, explore, much rather build my business, I'd much rather be and hold great relationships. And the deleterious effects 
that alcohol would have, not just on the day of drinking, but just the, the next day in, in terms of the way that my energy was impacted, my intuition, my gut, um, obviously is the health effects in terms of, you know, potential increase in cancer, you know, just poor decision making. There's a myriad of effects that, you know, also my emotions, you know, I would get just far more emotional. I'd be really like up and then really down for days. And the consistency that I have now, uh, energetically, emotionally, the drive, the clarity is so profound that I never want to sacrifice it. And so for those of you that are considering uh, giving up alcohol as part of your, your journey to come, I highly recommend you check out this coming episode with James Swanick. James is uh, an old friend. He is uh, leading a charge around helping people to give up alcohol. Now, in my own opinion, if you happen to have an alcohol addiction, um, you know, you may want to pursue something like Al- Alcoholics Anonymous or other other programs. Um, you know, I know Alcoholics Anonymous, Anonymous at least as, as I understand it, is free of charge and there's community and accountability. Uh, but there's other programs and James um, ha- has uh, a highly regarded program. Um, you know, there's Hip Sobriety, which has a lot of great resources as well that I've, that I've found online. But whatever tool you use, just... Please consider what your life could be like if you gave up alcohol or took a break from alcohol. What's on the other side uh, of that journey? What dreams have you yet to fulfill? And is drinking helping you get to to the realization of those dreams or is drinking hindering you from realizing your dreams? I think it's a question just to ask yourself. Um, And so... I'm going to get into this episode. I think you're going to find tremendous value. And before I do, I'm going to share with you a little bit about two tools that I've found that have been profound in enhancing my journey in this lifetime. The first tool is momentum. I discovered momentum as I as I talk about drinking as a tool for using drinking instead of for my detriment, for my optimal wellness. And momentum is the definitive longevity shake and supplement. I have been researching on this journey of Peak Mind how to optimize my life, my health. What are the supplements that one needs to to do so? And when I discovered momentum, I reached out to the founder, Mike, and I said, man, I got to try this. And uh, another guest of the show, Ben Greenfield, basically spoke about it with with flying colors and I was like okay let me check this out and I did and it's got NAD plus it's got the highest quality whey protein powder from from cows uh, literally in Ireland where they're not exposed to the same sort of GMOs and and pesticides and whatnot that we find across the the U.S. Collagen, omega threes, sun fiber, lion's made, hydrolonic acid, vitamins D three and K two, L glutamine, TMG, B complex vitamins, cordyceps, essential minerals, and magnesium. These are some of the most essential ingredients you can find, and Momentum has the highest quality sourcing I have come across in the entire industry. And not only that, they package it together 
in a single delicious shake, which has now become a daily habit for me. Sometimes I'll actually go work out just because my reward is that I get to drink momentum afterwards. I highly recommend you check it out. Um, It's delicious. Subscribe. I drink it every day. You can check them out at MomentumShake.com. Again, that is MomentumShake.com. They have some incredible resources on the website. So if you're considering, uh, you can really do a deep dive into their sourcing, into each of the ingredients and why they are so impactful on your health and well-being. And if you have any questions, please feel to reach out to me at Michael Trainer online. I'd be happy to share. It's one of my favorite new discoveries. This episode is also brought to you by Upgraded Formulas. Upgraded Formulas I discovered uh, as a result of a hair test that I did through them, which basically shows how you are doing in your mineral absorption. What minerals are in your body uh, and where is that impacting your health, your energy levels, uh, and your optimal wellness. And much to my surprise, I discovered that I have huge heavy metal exposure, which has profound consequences if it goes untreated, potential neurological consequences, you know, dementia, cancers, a lot of really gnarly uh, consequences. And so I was elated, not that at the results, but that I actually discovered those, uh, those high levels and have now taken action. And I've been working with Upgraded Formulas and their, their founder, Barton, to basically optimize my mineral levels as I reduce the stressors on my body and put myself into a position to win in my detoxification of heavy metals and also in optimizing my metabolism, getting my thyroid in balance, getting my, you know, my cortisol levels down, my stressors. I've been incorporating a lot more magnesium into my morning and night routines, which has actually increased my deep sleep, which I'm noticing has had profound consequences on my energy. I uh, personally am also working on their natural boosters for testosterone to get my hormones in an optimal way. And so if you're looking at optimizing minerals, which are so important for your overall well-being, if you're looking at optimizing your hormones, if you're concerned about heavy metals and detoxification, definitely check out Upgraded Formulas. It's UpgradedFormulas.com. And please go ahead and get yourself that test. And or they have some optimal uh, packaging of different supplements commensurate with your needs, whether that be hormones, energy, detoxification. So check them out, UpgradedFormulas.com. And without further ado, I'd now like to get into the episode with James Swanick. Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm here with an old friend, James Swanick. James, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, my man. Thank you for allowing me to be here, Michael. Great to see you again. So for context, uh, I knew James when he lived in Los Angeles, uh, which he no longer does, and uh, was in the, well, I would call it the sort of biohacking community, had developed some incredible blue light uh, blocking glasses before they were fashionable. And I've noticed for the last year, two years, maybe, maybe longer, that you have been 
for lack of a better term, sort of beating the drum of giving up alcohol and its benefits or reducing alcohol and its benefits. And that coincided with the time during the pandemic when I took a year and a half off alcohol. I wound up actually starting drinking again and now have been off again for almost a year. Um, but I wanted to bring you on because I'm deeply curious about the long-term benefits of, of giving up alcohol. And I know that my listeners, many of them are curious because I've gotten message about this. So let's start with what, what prompted you to, to get into this journey, James, and, and what, what anecdotal feedback have you received as a result? Well, I am 48 as we're recording this, and I was a socially acceptable drinker back in my hometown of Brisbane, Australia from my late teens uh, right up until when I left Australia in my early 30s. So I would drink a couple of drinks most nights of the week. On weekends, I would drink heavily. Um, but for the most part, over almost 20 years, I was a socially acceptable drinker. You know, I had a beer or two, had a couple of wines, maybe some night I had a bottle. I wasn't getting super drunk or even drunk. I didn't get arrested. I didn't have a DUI. I didn't wake up in a ditch. I didn't have that like rock bottom moment. And all of society said that my drinking habits were okay. But I got to age 35. I was in Austin, Texas in 2010, and I went out to a party at the annual South by Southwest Festival, and I had two gin and tonics, very innocent Bombay Sapphire gin and tonics. I went back to my hotel uh, in Austin, went to sleep, and when I woke up in the morning, I just felt blah. You know, And by blah, I mean like a 6 out of 10. Not a, not a three or a two, not an eight or a nine, but just mediocre and average in every way. I looked in the mirror. I, my skin was weathered. Um, I had some fat rolls hanging over my pajamas that I was, was sleeping in. Um, my face was kind of bloated. And I just realized that this almost 20 years of drinking habits had caught up with me. You know, I was probably carrying about 25, 30 pounds that I shouldn't have been. And so I went to this IHOP, which is an international house of pancakes, right next door to this hotel I was staying in in Austin. And I sat in the IHOP and I looked around and I go, what am I doing in an IHOP? And that was when I, I kind of made the decision. That was, I wouldn't say it was my rock bottom moment, but it was the defining moment where I said, I'm going to take a 30-day break from alcohol just to see what happens, see if I can feel better than this. And that's what I did. I stopped drinking for 30 days. I lost 13 pounds. It just fell off me. I slept better. I looked better. At that time, I had an opportunity to audition to become a sports center anchor on ESPN. And to my utter amazement, they gave me the job. Uh, I attracted this beautiful woman into my life, and my, uh, the caliber of my uh, acquaintances started to noticeably improve. And I just thought, wow, there's something to this. Mm. So I just kept going and going and going. And I got to a year alcohol-free. And in a, in a year, I'd lost 25 pounds, uh, looked great. Um, sleeping great, had clarity and focus and energy, was happy professionally, happy in my uh, friendships, in my romantic relationship. And I just thought, I think I'll just keep on going. And so I did. And I haven't drunk since. I've been 13 and a half years without drinking. And some years ago, back in 2015, uh, I started a business. It's now called Alcohol Free Lifestyle. Uh, we support uh, people who want to have a better relationship with alcohol. And just to answer your initial question is what are the long-term benefits of not drinking? Uh, it's just a better quality of life, a higher quality of life. You've got clarity, focus, energy. You're less irritable, less stressed, less chance 
of diabetes, less chance of cancer, less chance of dying a miserable death. We're all going to die, but you could probably die the way that nature intended you to die rather than a way that we have inflicted it upon us by drinking attractively packaged poison. So that's how I would respond to that. I, I love how you put that. I, I, I remember seeing that on one of your videos where you, where you called alcohol attractively packaged poison. And I had never heard it um, described in that way. And it really resonated with me because I thought to myself, alcohol has had the benefit of an, an incredible uh, branding campaign over the years, right? Like in the 60s, it was cigarettes, you know? And of course, now we know that those are, are horrible for you. Alcohol, I feel like, is still kind of in a little bit. I think it's losing a bit of its luster, but it still has, you know, it's still a way for a lot, a lot of people to make a lot of money. So you still have major celebrities endorsing um, uh, alcohol brands, and it still is the, in many ways, the socially accepted lubricant, which thankfully is changing uh, in certain places, but. But let's let's call it what it is. It's still, you know, there's still a lot of bars. There's still a lot of play. I was walking in Santa Monica yesterday, and uh, I love sports. Uh, but I but I was like, yeah, you know, it just there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of a brand is often built by association, and unfortunately, there's still a lot of people um, who have an exalted brand, whether that be sports teams, celebrities, athletes that are still endorsing this lifestyle, alcohol, etc. So it's still kind of giving this attractively packaged poison a bit more of a uh, of a step up. However, I am seeing a lot more people declaring themselves alcohol free and a lot more, uh, you know, unfortunately, because we live in a celeb obsessed culture, you know, a lot more uh, of that is getting buzzed, you know, from Brad Pitt stopping drinking to, you know, I, I think, you know, there's a variety of people that, I, that I've seen. You probably know a lot more of them. But I, go, for example, Bradley Cooper, I, I, I watched that and David Bowie. And I, I can't remember if this was on your channel or I just saw it on it was. online. Uh, but, you know, people I really respect, highly creative people. Um, who talked about their journey and how they would never even consider going back to alcohol and how they attributed all of their success to the fact that they actually took a step away from drinking. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, about, about how the narrative around alcohol is changing and what you're seeing as, a re- as it relates to people who have committed to an alcohol-free lifestyle, what kind of uh, feedback you're getting from them as a result as they embark on their journey? Alcohol's reputation is crumbling. In the 50s, you referenced that, you know, we used to think that cigarettes were safe. In fact, doctors would be on billboards um, advertising their favourite cigarette. Now, we look back at that time now just and we just think, what were we thinking? You know, that was just crazy thinking. And my prediction is that in 20 to 30 more years, two or three decades, we're going to look back on alcohol today um, with the same level of disdain that we do cigarettes. So it'll probably take another 20, 30 years, but we're heading that way. Never before have people drunk less. Millennials are turning their backs on uh, alcohol like never before. Uh, There is a plethora of alcohol-free alternatives now on the market, and some of these companies who are doing alcohol-free beer and alcohol-free spritzes have huge valuations in the hundreds of millions of dollars, incredibly popular. 
Um, there's more education now in the market with with social media. Obviously, now you can and the internet. Now you can actually have access to the latest studies, which demonstrate that no alcohol is good for you. I mean, there's this ridiculous set of studies from the 80s that suggest that a glass of wine a day is good for your heart health. Now, in actual fact, about two years ago, there was a study out of the University of Victoria in Canada by a professor named uh, Tim Stockwell. And he looked at 100 previously published studies on alcohol uh, involving 5 million participants, okay? And what he found was that those 100 studies, almost all of them were either biased or skewed. In other words, all of that data was influenced by liquor companies, um, um, people who had a vested interest in um, alcohol continuing in society. Now, that should be the biggest wake-up call to all of us. Also, 2022, study came out of the UK. They looked at 35,000 middle-aged Brits. And what they found was that even one seemingly innocent drink per night, that's just seven standard drinks a week, was enough to cause gray and white matter degeneration in the brain. In other words, uh, one drink a night can cause brain degeneration. But yet, cultural conditioning the way it is, it's like, ah, we'll be fine. Just have a drink. I'm just having an innocent glass of wine. I'm just having a couple beers. Big deal. Our life is there to be lived. Come on, you know, just it's fine. You'll be all right. Hey, what about that study that says that a glass of wine is good for your heart? And on and on and on it goes. And there are smiling assassins everywhere. And smiling assassins is the waiter or the waitress who smiles as they say, hey, can I get you a drink? It's your friends who greet you at the house party or the dinner party. And they go, oh, hi, Michael. Hi, James. How are you? Hey, can I get you a drink? We've got beer. We've got what? What can I get you? Now, they're trying to be a good host, right? They do have your best intentions um, at heart because they want you to have a good time. But nevertheless, they're assassinating you, right, because they're offering you this poison which has been proven repeatedly, especially in recent years, to increase the likelihood of cancer, increase the likelihood of sleep problems, increase the likelihood of, uh, increase, uh, I'm sorry, speed up the aging process, weather the skin, um, uh, more likely to create irritation, stress, anxiety, prolong irritation, stress, and anxiety, lead to marital uh, strain and, and divorce, parents not being present with their children, um, uh, car crashes, accidents, all these kind of things that are even more, you know, more dramatic that people think, oh, the only problem it is, is is for those really dramatic instances. No, it's this is like death by a thousand cuts. Mm. It's like you might not notice it right there as you're drinking over three, four years, a decade, but boy, do you notice it when you get into your 40s, 50s, 60s, where that starts to catch up with you. Um, you asked for some anecdotal evidence. Yeah, you, you mentioned Bradley Cooper. You know, I interviewed Bradley Cooper back in 2007 or eight when the movie The Hangover was being promoted. I, I used to be a Hollywood journalist, and so I would interview movie stars. And back then, I was still drinking. And I remember I met him at the SLS Hotel in Beverly Hills, and I was uh, in a suite, and I was interviewing him about The Hangover, and I said, what's your favorite drink? And he said, oh, no, I don't drink. I stopped like five, six years ago. And I said, really? And I remember thinking, God, Bradley Cooper, this is not the kind of guy I'd want to hang out with because, you know, I was a drinker and I always associated having a good time with drinking. And boy, was I wrong in that assertion because Bradley Cooper is now, you know, universally admired by men and women. He's got, I think he's had four or five Oscar nominations now. Um, he's very handsome. He, he seems 
you know, he's very successful professionally. And now I don't think he's drunk and probably must be, must be 17 or 18 years. Um, and then my clients, you know, we coach, um, mostly business owners and executives who are middle-aged. They tend to be our, our, our clients who come to us. Um, anecdotally it's helped save their marriage, help them have a better marriage. Um, one gentleman made a quarter of a million dollars more income in the 90 days that he was with us, which he credits to the clarity and the focus and the energy that he had. Real estate brokers make an extra deal on average per month, which ends up being 12 additional deals per year, which can add up to a quarter of a million dollars or half a million dollars in additional revenue. Again, credited to the clarity and the focus and the good sleep and the energy that they have from not consuming attractively packaged poison. Yeah, I totally resonate with that. I mean, I'll, I'll be very honest. So uh, I, I feel like if I were still 18 and could down, so I don't have like a necessarily a moral argument against alcohol. Um, and if I were still 18 and could crush three, four drinks and wake up without any seemingly any effects the next, next morning, I'd probably still be drinking. Uh, and at the same time, that isn't, I, I realized for myself, I was like, besides all the research, Andrew Huberman coming out and saying, you know, there is no like one glass, like all the things you just shared in regards to the fallacies of a little bit is fine, moderation, etc. Now we know that actually any amount of drinking damages the brain and, and, and our sleep most prominently. I mean, I like you, I think have an aura ring. And now that you can actually see, of course, you know, anecdotally, you feel up, you wake up, you feel a little bit off or a little bit foggy or feel like crap. But now you can actually see your HRV just go absolutely tanked after after a drink or two. For me, that's that was the catalyst because I'm like, I'm doing all these other things in life to optimize my life, right? Like, I'm going to exercise. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I, I, you know, I live in Venice, so I do the cold plunge and the sauna. I do, I do all these different activities, yet at the same time. Uh, at least a couple of years ago, I was still drinking. And what I realized was one of the, the greatest levers taken, you know, together that would, that would have the greatest consequence on my life. You know, a friend asked me a question, which was a really potent question. And this was actually about the same time you were interviewing Bradley Cooper. So this is back when I was living in New York doing Global Citizen Festival. And she asked me one of the most powerful questions I've been asked in my life, which is, if there were one thing that you were to give up, and one thing that you were to add to your life that would have that, that one. So I'll re- reiterate that. If there was one thing you could give up and one thing you, you could add to your life that taken together would have the most profound transformative impact, what would it be? And for me, and I encourage anyone listening to ask yourself the same question. For me, giving up was giving up drinking alcohol, which at the time I was still drinking. And adding was a profound, committed, loving relationship, which I'm still working on. But, but I knew that those two taken together would have the most profound, profound impact. And I will say for me, giving up alcohol, the periods I'm proudest of in my life are periods where I was not drinking alcohol because the degree of productivity and what I was able to achieve was, was profound. So I, I totally, totally resonate with that. As it relates to sleep, I've, I've loved for you to go a little bit deeper on sleep because it does seem like, you know, we're, we're now seeing that sleep, even the military saying like, you know, sleep, sleep, losing sleep can have is, is, is the thing that they're most scared about, right? Because people make such poor decisions without sleep. It's actually now a form of torture. Um, but 
But we also now know, I, I don't know if you read Matthew Walker's Why We Sleep, we also know that the accumulation of bad sleep has prolonged deleterious consequences. So it's not just one night and then you catch back up, you know, three days later. Talk to me a little bit about sleep and, and the effects that alcohol have on sleep. You're better off drinking for breakfast than you are anywhere close to bedtime if sleep is your goal. Because at least if you have wine or beer with your cornflakes or toast in the morning, your body will have 16 hours to work to get rid of the toxins from the body. The problem is, is that most people are drinking towards the latter part of the day and into the evening, close to sleep time. And when you do that, you're essentially clocking your body in for a day's work. Right now, you remember, you know, back in the day, they got the factories. I'm sure they still do have this now where you would turn up for work and you'd clock in and you'd punch your card to show that you got there at 8.59 a.m. or 9 a.m. And then when you left at 5.30 or 6, you'd clock your card. Remember that that, that used yep. to happen a lot in the day, right? So you're, you're clocking in for the day and you're clocking out for the day. Now, in the modern world, every time you pour yourself a drink at nighttime, you are clocking in for the night. You're about to go to work. You're putting your body to work at a time when your body doesn't want to go to work. Your body wants to sleep and rest. Now, all these people in society mistakenly believe that having a drink or two at night helps them relax and calm down and helps them go to sleep. Now, I don't dispute that Drinking a wine or two or a couple of beers can help you fall asleep. A more accurate description might be help you to pass out. Mm -hmm. But let's just say that we give the benefit of the doubt and say a couple of drinks helps you fall asleep. Okay, that's great. Good. Helps you, helps you fall asleep. The problem is, is that the quality of your sleep is now so compromised that it has completely destroyed any benefits of being able to fall asleep from drinking the alcohol. As you just referenced there, we can track it now with an aura ring, right, or, any, or something similar. Um, when you drink that alcohol, you may fall asleep, but you spend less time in that deep restorative phase of sleep, less time in that REM sleep. The body is working. The body is working to break down the toxins that you've just ingested at a time where the natural flow of things is the body wants to rest. It's like going to the gym. You do a big solid workout. You're like, yeah. You can't wait to get to like an hour so you can rest, go and have some food, have a shower, you know, rest. But what most human beings are doing is they're going to the gym, they're working out, and then they have the drink, and then it's like going straight back into the gym and having to do another workout again. Now, that's insanity, but yet we do it. We do it because it's the way it's just been done. So... As it relates to sleep, it is just an absolute sleep destroyer. That as well as blue light staring into screens. And here's the other thing people make a mistake on. They mistakenly think that, oh, if I just don't stare into screens, I'll be able to protect my eyes from the blue light. No. It's your bathroom light, it's your kitchen light, microwave light, bedside table light, reading light, speedometer light, traffic light, street lights, and McDonald's golden arches lights as you're driving along the highway. All of that light messes with your sleep. Same thing, right? Like the body, with the drinking analogy, right, you're putting the body to work, you're clocking in for the night when you drink alcohol close to bedtime, like right? putting your body to work. Same thing with light. 
artificial light at night, you're essentially telling the mind and body, it's not nighttime, it's still daytime. So therefore, don't release the natural flow of melatonin into your body. Keep releasing daytime hormones. And this is going on at like 10, 11 o'clock at night when, you, when your body's ready to naturally fall asleep and rest. So, you know, I mean, look, this actually isn't rocket science. It's so, so simple. And I would just invite your listeners to not take my word for it. Do your own research. Google what I've said. You know, like, and, and, and here's, here's the, the, the best person you can trust, yourself. Mm-hmm. And deep down you know that when you have a couple of drinks before bedtime, you wake up feeling like shit. Or better than that, maybe you feel irritable or stressed or anxious. And you know when you're staring in the screens at night, you wake up the next morning, you're tired and lethargic, right? So don't trust me. Trust your own body. But please, for the love of God, educate yourself and stop trying to cling on to this, oh, I just have to have a drink. I have to, I have to, I have to, because otherwise I'll be boring without it or I won't be able to go to sleep. Just eliminate that thinking. Try a new way of thinking and embody a much healthier lifestyle because I tell you, I've had a life with alcohol and a life without, and without is so much better. So, totally agree. I, I did a cost, basically a cost-benefit analysis, and I was like, what's the cost? And taking out, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different costs. People can do this in their own experience. But the sleep alone and, and the consequence of, of getting subprime sleep, for me, and like why would I even, let's just say you, I have a night of drinking, and let, let's say, which sometimes is the case, right, like, which is, which is oftentimes what we remember. Say I have an epic night out, which alcohol happened to be a part of, right? That leads me to, let's say I have four or five amazing hours of fun. That's the best case scenario. Oftentimes you drink and you actually don't even have that much fun and the next day is ruined. But, but for me at least, the next day was ruined and even the day after sometimes because I didn't sleep well is compromised. You know, were those four or five hours of fun in the best case scenario worth me ruining two days? Definitely not. Um, that was kind of what, what hit me. I was like, I am, I am committed to no more hangovers. Um, and oftentimes I would drink and I didn't even have that great a time and it cost me, you know, a day or two afterwards. Uh, but, but let's talk a little bit about alternatives because I think the other piece that came to my mind, again, speaking very honestly, because I'm committed to shoot straight to the listeners, was I was like, well, I'm happy to go alcohol-free, for example, once I'm in a relationship and, or you know, once, I, once I'm married, what have, what have you. Dating, for example, without drinking seems really tricky because a lot of people associate, you know, a lot of times, at least in my former life, living in New York, people would be like, oh, let's grab a drink. You know, there, there's, there's a lot of people who associate courtship, uh, meeting people with alcohol. Now, I was scared of going alcohol-free because I was like, it's going to be harder to date. I'm going to have to describe that to my, the woman I'm with. Is she going to think I'm an alcoholic? I've subsequently found, gratefully, that dating is way better and also 
there's no blinders, right? Like, so if someone is definitely not a match in the past, I'd be like, oh, well, if I have a drink or two, at least it'll be passable and I can get by, you know? Now it's like, if I'm not drinking and this person is not resonant, right? I live in LA. There's a lot of narcissists. I've been on dates where literally a woman has not asked me a single question the entire evening. And I know girlfriends where it's not gender-based where guys have done the same thing. Um, but I can't, pass through that like now i'm like thank you so much grateful for your time and gracefully find a way to exit but but in other words i don't waste my time uh which i think alcohol enabled a a greater mediocrity and an an ability to to pass through painful experiences but just create more pain in my life and now if, if it's not a if it's not a resonant match uh, I'm way more apt to end it quickly. And so I'm finding that it's helping me in my discernment. And I'm also doing much healthier activities to get to know someone. I'll go for a hike. I'll go for a walk on the beach. I'll do, you know, cold plunge and sauna. I'll, I'll do various different things that I wouldn't have done instead of going to a bar to get a drink. Talk to me a little bit about what you found, because I know you work with people. Obviously, you have your own experiences in terms of what an alcohol-free lifestyle looks like and um, some of the alternatives that you could consider when you think about, okay, well, what's my barrier to really giving this a go? Well, people often mistakenly believe that if they tell their date that they're not drinking, that their date is going to think that they're an alcoholic or think that they've got a problem or think that they're dull or uninteresting. In my experience, and certainly the experience of my clients, is that the opposite is true. And that is the date all of a sudden thinks, wow, this date that I'm sitting across is like this really elevated man or woman. Wow, they've really got their shit together. And the, and, and the date who is drinking is now feeling uh, 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 subconscious about you and what you're thinking about them. So you've actually got the power play, not that we're trying to create a power play here, but you're actually in the, in the position as a non-drinker of being a superior man or a superior woman. But people go into this thinking that they've got, they're the inferior man or the inferior woman because they're not drinking. Now, I can tell you the moment that I stopped drinking alcohol, the caliber of women and romantic connection that I generated, generated in my life just jumped up like, I don't know, I'd be exaggerating to say tenfold. Just Let's just say that I just noticeably started attracting a higher caliber of person into my life. I started being the type of person who I wanted to attract. I started being open. I was health conscious. I was happier. I was less stressed. And what I found is I just started to generate those kind of people in my life who were also healthy and not stressed and either didn't drink at all or drank on occasion, and certainly they didn't drink as a necessity for social interaction, right? Um, When I was dating alcohol-free, 90% of the dates that I would suggest were daytime dates, a walk, Mm -hmm. a coffee, or a juice. You mentioned a hike, a hike. So I didn't even really have to broach the topic of alcohol because the first date which they were accepting was walking at a farmer's market or going up a hill for a hike or meeting on a Saturday morning or meeting for an after-dinner frozen yogurt, right? So I, I, I wasn't 
committing to these big kind of like extravagant sit-down dinners where they go through this all ridiculous notion of the waiter and the waitress. Hello, sir, can I get you started with wine? What would you like, some drinks? I just removed that from the equation. And what, what happened was that I got to connect with my date on a, on a human level, which didn't involve toxins. It involved just natural ways of being, being out in nature and going for a walk right? And uh, then you get to know someone. Now, on, the, on those occasions where somehow under whatever circumstance I ended up in a bar or at a restaurant, the waiter or the waitress would come over and I'd say, yeah, sparkling water, thanks. Can I grab sparkling water, ice, and a piece of lime? And usually the date would see that and go, oh, you don't drink? I go, no, I don't drink. I just very just, oh, no, I don't drink. I haven't drunk in years. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, I just feel so much better about it. Yeah, but you do, you go ahead. You want to have it, have whatever you want to have. And sometimes they would order a wine and that was fine. And other times they just had sparkling water as well or they'd say, wow, this is amazing. Some of them actually said to me, wow, a real man. Because a real man is a man who does whatever the hell he pleases. And guess what? Whatever the hell I please is drinking soda, water, ice, and a piece of lime. What's what is not desirable about that? So, again, I hope my passion for this subject is getting through to your listeners, Michael, because I'm telling you, like, you remove alcohol from the equation, that's when you really get to know someone. You add alcohol to it, well, you can also get to know someone, but for reasons that you probably don't want to, mm-hmm. right? And anyone in this world who needs a foreign substance to feel relaxed enough to be able to connect, I submit hasn't yet fully embraced themselves and being with themselves. And it's not easy. I mean, I've done Mm. lots of self-development work and I realize that um, things like uh, maybe womanizing or drinking or overeating or overworking, even like overexercising, becoming obsessive about it, is just a way of me not feeling comfortable with myself and not being present. And people are always asking me, like, how do you stop drinking? How do you stop drinking? And look, in candidly, with our clients, we give them tactics, like we give them tactics of how to break the habit. But really, if I threw away all the tactics, the simple answer is know yourself, do personal development, be comfortable in your own skin, say sorry to those that you've wronged, uh, be, be active, help people, practice conscious communication, focus on your sleep, eat good food, get out in nature. You do all those kind of things, guess what? You don't have cravings for a substance like alcohol. You don't crave being a shopaholic. You don't crave porn. You don't crave marijuana. You don't crave working so hard because all these are just signs that you're not comfortable enough being present with yourself that's the that's the best hack on how to stop drinking alcohol it's just do the work be comfortable with yourself yeah i'm glad you you that last bit you just shared uh really resonates because i i do think you know we attract what we are right i had a, a great girlfriend say i wrote down a list of all the things i wanted to attract in a mate and then I set off on becoming those things, right? Because we have to be that uh, to attract that. And, you know, to me, coming into 
comfort with oneself is is obviously the path of life. But I feel I feel like that work is such valuable work. And, you know, the people that we attract into our lives, at least the people I've attracted into my life since I've given up drinking, have been phenomenal. And it's a result of who I'm being. And and the discernment and the comfort with with self, right? Like I would notice when I was drinking, it wasn't just the drinking, it was the cascade of bad choices that preceded post-drinking, right? Like when I lived in New York, 100% I'm getting two slices in a Coke the next morning, you know? So like my food, and by the way, not to vilify a slice, I still will crush a slice, but you know, my food would be crap. You know, I'd, I'd definitely be watching some films because I felt that, you know, and it's like, it was just like, there's a whole cascade of bad, ah, bad is too strong a word, of suboptimal behaviors that would then proceed from my hungover state, right? Whereas now that I don't drink, it's like all of, like, I also compound my good behaviors, right? It's like, uh, and as a result, I'm also exponentially attracting better people. And I feel like, the degree to which I am also now more sensitive to my own internal barometer around what's for me and what's not for me, right? Like part part of that like liquid courage, so to speak, like people feeling uncomfortable, like is by the way, if your internal compass is telling you this is not your person or this environment is not the environment for you. I remember talking to NQ about this uh, mutual friend, great, great artist. And he was like, now, if I walk into a place and I and I and I don't feel it, you know, uh, instead of using you know alcohol, I just leave, right? Like my barometer is letting me know this is not for me, and so I think having the strength, and the courage to know when something is for you or not for you is also a profound benefit uh, of not drinking, and it's led to me attracting better people in my life. It's led to a cascade of better decisions and. You know, I just recently reflected on uh, what are the periods in my life where I've been proudest of myself? And actually, this is random, but I remember at 12 years old in seventh grade, I went to a grammar school in Chicago. And without going into great detail, I I was kind of the class clown and and I was very popular, but I was I was popular because I would kind of use a lot of self-deprecating humor and I was tracked in remedial classes and I knew I was smart, but I but my identity hadn't seen myself in that way yet. And so I embarked on a now three, four year journey to to I went to wound up going to a private school, getting a tutor, et cetera, one of years later becoming a Fulbright scholar. But it was it was me committing to this process in high school where I actually didn't touch a drop of alcohol. I know a lot of people socialize with alcohol. And I was still like very uh, popular, etc. But I was committed to the work of what I wanted to build and the identity of who I wanted to be. And it was a different identity from how I saw myself. And the degree to which I was proud of who I became and the, and the, and the opportunities that sprang from that are not to be underestimated. They were profound. And I feel like for me, one of the great, greatest ways to quit a bad habit or to step into a new, a new version of yourself is in, is grounded first in that context of identity of who you see yourself to be, right? Like I was, I was listening to James Clear who wrote Atomic Habits and he was like, for example, if you're trying to quit smoking and someone offers you a cigarette, you know, you could give two responses. One is, oh, no, I'm trying to quit. And the other is, oh, no, 
I'm not a smoker, right? One is grounded in, I'm still a smoker and I'm trying to quit. The other is, I, as my identity, I'm just not a smoker, right? Like, so no, definitely I don't want a cigarette, right? And to me, I think most of the transformation that we're looking for in our lives is identity-based. Can you talk a little bit about identity-based transformation and what you've seen from those who have, and I know, I know, by the way, like you're serving some people who just want to reduce or just doing 30 days. For those who have actually stepped into, oh no, I'm not a drinker. What 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 is what is the consequence of that commitment? What 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 do you see from an identity level uh, for from the people who have committed to living an alcohol free lifestyle? Well, you were never a drinker. You're always just you. Yeah. Right. That was it. That's just it. You, and you're still just you. You just happen to drink at the moment or you just simply have been drinking for the past 20 years. But that doesn't mean that you're a drinker. It just means that you're Michael or you're James or you're Cindy or you're Sarah. That's who you are. And even that's not really who you are if you really break it down. It's just the name that your parents gave you, right? So this ridiculous notion that people say, like, oh, I'm no good at tech. Oh, I'm terrible at the gym. Oh, I'm awful at this. Oh, I'm crap at this. It's just, they're just stories. That's mm. all they are. They're made up beliefs. That's all they are. But we live our life like these things are reality. Mm. And it's not. They're just made up stories and made up beliefs. And so what we do is we help challenge those beliefs, break down those beliefs, break down the meaning that we've been associating to those beliefs. And what we're left with is just Nothing. And from there, we get to create everything, anything we want. Now, this is why I tell you, this is why AA, in my opinion, gets it so wrong. And before I go into this, let me just say, give me a little, let me just give you a little disclaimer here, okay? I support the mission of AA, which is to support people stopping drinking and overcome addictions. Having said that, statistically speaking, it's probably the second or the absolute most ineffective way to stop drinking. Studies show that it works for 7% of people who attempt it, 7%. Now, when I say works, I mean get to a year alcohol-free, okay, 7%, which means 93% of people who attempt AA, it doesn't work for. It's ineffective. And yet all of society says, oh, you got a drinking problem, better go to AA. Now, has AA helped millions of people? Yes, absolutely. And if AA has worked for you and is working for you, keep doing it. I am not here to discourage you from anything that's working. Just do it. But the facts are it's ineffective for 93% of people who attempt it. Now, here's my reason why. Okay, this is now my opinion. What's about to come out of my mouth now is my opinion. And that is, is that in AA, you have to say, my name's James and I'm an alcoholic. Well, I call BS on that. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm James. I'm me. And I just happen to have been drinking way too much and a lot for many years. But that doesn't make me an alcoholic. 
And not drinking certainly doesn't make me sober. That's why in our organization, we don't use the word sober. We don't use the word sobriety. We don't use the word recovery because all of these are just bullshit labels to keep us stuck. I'm an alcoholic, so I can't drink, which implies to me that under normal circumstances, you would drink. Oh, I'm 10 10 years sober. I'm 20 years sober. I'm 15 years sober. Oh, no, I've got my sobriety. I'm like, no. In my view, that is completely ineffective. It's getting you stuck in a label. It's getting you stuck in victimhood. It's getting you stuck in, I can't drink. I would drink if I could, but I can't. Now, the problem with that is that now, naturally speaking, you want to drink, but you can't. Now, that makes you feel like what? A prisoner. And what do most prisoners want to do? They want to break out of prison which is why these 30-day no-alcohol challenges like Sober October and Dry Annuary, like I applaud the mission of helping people to get a glimpse of what it feels like to be alcohol-free. But 95% of people who do that go and get plastered on day 30 or day 31 because they're going into it like using willpower and motivation. Or I drink under normal circumstances, but I'm not going to for these 30 days. And then, oh, let's so celebrate the fact that we did 30 days and go and have some drinks. Well, I asked the question, what the hell was the point of you doing it in the first place? So, you know, you're asking about identity and helping people shift identities. A lot of this is helping people just shift beliefs, recognize where they've been creating stories like I'm an alcoholic. Bullshit. 95% of people who are out there telling themselves that they're an alcoholic, I submit, are not alcoholics. They're just them and they've been drinking too much and it's caused lots of problems in their life. But this notion that you, naturally speaking you're an alcoholic, is, I, I submit, is just preposterous. And it's, and it's why, in my opinion, we have so many challenges in the world because you've got cultural conditioning and advertisers and celebrities that you mentioned, like Ryan Reynolds and The Rock, all promoting alcohol and making funny videos about it. I saw Ryan Reynolds promoting his liquor line the other day. It was very funny. I like Ryan Reynolds. He's a funny guy. But he's doing a complete disservice to society by promoting attractively packaged poison. I like The Rock. The Rock's done so much for charity. He's very entertaining, seems like a good guy. But he's pushing his tequila brand, which causes just absolute mayhem in the world, all these kind of problems. So I'm calling out those celebrities to wake up. And and like I'm calling the celebrities out and like I'm calling out the actual effectiveness of AA, I'm also calling out the listener, like start challenging these beliefs that you have. Start challenging these things that you've just accepted as the norm for years and years and years. Stop. Start challenging this notion that you need alcohol to have fun or that you need alcohol to create romance or you need alcohol to do a business deal or you need alcohol to network. You do not need it at all. You can create romance and business deals and networking and fun and relaxation and entertainment without it. Mm. Well, I, I want to just first of all, we're cu- we're coming to close of our hour. I, I do want to just push back a little bit on the AA, not not in so far as creating an adversarial context, but just to say I do know people who have what I would call an addiction, right? And and to me, there are biological corollaries to addiction. And I'm not here on this show, nor, nor do I think we have the time or expertise to really talk about for those who have an alcohol or otherwise an addiction. And of course, we can get into existentially identity and what, whatnot. I do think that 
uh, any anything you can do to support you in transcending and moving past that addiction is helpful. And for most, what is accessible and and has at least worked is is you know, AA. I'm not saying it's perfect. I've not actually been in it. I can't speak to that. But I do think what what is demonstrated to help people in their success in any change or transformation is a social group that helps support them and the accountability that comes from it. And from what I've heard from others who have done, for example, AA or the recovery movement is that group and that accountability really helps to hold them, right? The buddy system, having someone who actually has your back um, is really, really powerful. And, 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 I, and creating a new identity uh, that's, is supported uh, by another group of people. Again, not going into the nuance of it, uh, but just to say, I do think whatever works for you, um, do that. And if you actually have an addiction, uh, which I do think uh, is a real thing, uh, I've been addicted in my life in, in, in the past to tobacco. And thankfully, I was able to give up. I didn't but but it, but I do know what it's like when you have like a biological like wow I'm addicted to this. Um, that said, I think from my perspective at least, there are there's a scale and a spectrum of people who are using a substance, and I think that there's a need also. Like I personally was never, uh, for lack of a better term, an alcoholic. So to me, that wasn't really the the place in which I felt called. But I do feel like creating an identity and a lifestyle and having a cohort of people who who subscribe to the same views and who help support me in that journey of living an alcohol-free lifestyle has been really, really supportive for me in keeping up that lifestyle. I know that's also something that you provide uh, in regards to, um, you know, for those who... I'm just going to use my own word again, you know, who are not necessarily like in a place of addiction, who are looking for uh, a lifestyle that's different and, and, and could potentially use support in fostering that, that new lifestyle. Um, I think there's a great need for uh, a variety of different vehicles to foster and help them in that journey. Can you share a little bit, James, about because I, I believe that you do 30-day challenges. Can you just, before obviously we close, share a little bit about for people who are intrigued by what you're offering, where they can find you and and if you have a 30-day program, I don't know if that's running all the time or when that's kicking off. I know we're recording this for those listening in September. Obviously, October happens to be a common time. Uh, sober October, uh, January, as you mentioned, happens to be a common time for people to give those 30 days a go. Uh, but please, where can people find you? Yeah. So Alcohol Free Lifestyle is the name of the podcast that I host in Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And we do uh, episodes there where we do case studies, where we show how we support people to stop drinking alcohol, make more money, save a marriage, get healthier, and all those benefits that living an alcohol-free lifestyle um, create. So that's a good place to start. Check out the Alcohol Free Lifestyle podcast. Um, AlcoholFreeLifestyle.com is where you'll find uh, some posts, um, a link to our 30-day no alcohol challenge. We do do a 30-day no alcohol challenge. And I, but I do say this um, carefully. Uh, my invitation is if you are to enroll in our 30-day no alcohol challenge, um, 
I invite you to do it with the idea that you are going to go further than the 30 days rather than stop at 30 days and go and celebrate because otherwise what's the point? Um, and then we have a 90-day stop drinking process. Our flagship experience is called uh, Project 90 and it has a 95% success rate of all those who participate in it. It's so successful, in fact, that the University of Washington recently conducted a scientific study on our process um, just to try to prove that our claims were correct. The results are not out yet. They're expected 2024. Um, but the professor who oversaw the study told me off the record that I was going to be very happy with the results. Now, I'd love to just say that, wow, we're so special and we've discovered the, the top secret to helping people stop drinking. But the reality is more in line with what you suggested, Michael, and that is we create a great like-minded community for people to get support. And the like-mindedness is the, is the key word here. You know, Project 90 is mostly for business owners, executives uh, over 40. And so we don't tend to accept those who are under 35, for example, or who are not that demographic. And what happens is the people who are that demographic, they get into the group. They're on these group Zoom calls that we have. And they go, oh, that person's just like me. That person's just like me. That person's just like me. And it becomes like this, there's this camaraderie that's created. And that really does help people uh, stay alcohol-free, right? It gets you into momentum. Mm. The challenge is most people in the world are trying to lone wolf it and going, oh, I just need motivation. If I can just do it this time, I'm really going to do it. I would su submit that's just as ineffective as what I suggested AA is. Um, so here's here's how i would just finish all of this by the way you can also follow me on instagram at, at james swanick and i'm on tiktok at, at james swanick as well but what i would say is this finally um look whatever you do whether it's following my method or whether it's aa or whether you go to rehab or whether you use willpower whatever works just keep doing that now hopefully i've been able to present some statistics which shows you that statistically speaking, you'd have a better chance doing it one way than maybe another way. But again, whatever works, do that. Because like I said before, I've had a life with and without alcohol and without is way better. Well said, man. I totally align to that. I feel like um, giving up alcohol has been one of the greatest gifts I've given to myself. And I hope that it's a gift that those listening give to themselves. And I really appreciate your time and uh, definitely recommend for those listening, uh, you check out James's uh, programs. And uh, James, thanks for, for making the time and, and sharing some of your insights. Michael, thanks again. Thanks for having me. Great to catch up with you. Likewise. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with James. I know that I did. I hope that you'll consider what life could be like without alcohol uh, and reach out to James for support through his program, AA, hip sobriety, anywhere you can find the accountability and inspiration and tools you need for your journey. I am so grateful for you listening. If you enjoyed the episode, if you think that there's a friend that could benefit from it, please feel free to share it with them. And if you love the episode, please go ahead and leave us a rating and review on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it means the world to me, and it helps me to grow the show and get incredible guests. 
Um, if you're inspired, also love if you support our sponsors, MomentumShake.com and UpgradedFormulas.com, two companies I truly believe in that have made life-changing differences in my life. I hope you guys are doing great. I'm so grateful for your, for your listening. And until next time, I'm wishing you guys nothing but the best.